Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Turn to Philippians 1. If you haven't done that already, you can, you can do that now. Some of us have Bibles in our hands, so you can turn there. Some of us have Bibles on phone, so you can scroll there along uh, with me. And this is week two of our series, Side by Side, Advancing the Gospel Together. Again, we want to get that in our minds, that, that as we start this church, that it's about advancing the gospel, spreading the fame of Jesus Christ around the world. Now, everyone in this room, everyone outside of this room, have something that defines their life. They have something that they live by, either by a motto or some sort of goal or everything like that. Everyone has something that drives them. Some people live by the, the motto, you only live once. And so the idea there is that I'm, I'm only here for a short time. It's only once I'm trying to get the most out of life that I can possibly get. Other people live by the motto, it's only crazy until you do it. Of course, there are some things that are just flat crazy. doesn't matter if you do it or not. Some people's lives are defined by a goal. The goal of their life is workplace success. And sometimes what's under that is this drive for financial Stability. Some people, they live by the goal of physical health. There's this commitment to healthy living, and so they watch what they eat and they exercise. That is what drives them. Some people, their goal in life is to travel, to see as much of the world as they can possibly see. And so every chance they get, they're on a plane and they're off somewhere else. For some people, it's to become famous, to be known worldwide. They want people to know who they are. See, all of us have things that shape us. All of us have things that define us. And Paul, the writer of this letter, he was the same way. He had things that shaped him. He had things that defined him. See, he lived by a motto. His motto was to live as Christ and to die as gain. He had a goal for his life. His goal was to spread the gospel everywhere, as far as possible. In Romans 15, verse 20, he says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He wanted to get the gospel as far as possible. He was focused. This is what drove him. Here's how Matt Chandler describes Paul. He says, Paul was a brother you couldn't do anything to. You couldn't touch him. You could say, we'll kill you. He'll say, to die is gain. We'll say, we'll leave you alone. He's like, to live is Christ. We'll torture you. He says, I do not compare the sufferings of this present world to the weight of the future glory that is coming to me. He's like, fine. We'll put you in prison. He says, I'll convert all your guards and all my fellow prisoners. It's like, you, there just wasn't anything you could do to, to him or with him. He was focused. He was driven. That's because his life was defined by something. See, whatever defines your life, 
shapes the way you respond in everything. The thing that that defines your life shapes the way you respond. And in this passage, we're going to see through the life of Paul that our life should be defined by the exaltation of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel everywhere. That is what is to define the life of a Christian. The exaltation of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel everywhere. And when this is our goal, it shapes the way we respond in adversity. When this is our goal, it shapes how we respond in adversity. Look at verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We have two points today. Here's our first one. The gospel spreads even when people try to stop it. The gospel spreads even when people try to stop it. Paul calls the Philippians, he calls them brothers. The NIV translates this, says brothers and sisters. And last week we talked about identity. We, we learned that, that, that as we come to Christ and that we, as we settle into following him, that he makes us servants and saints that we are called to serve one another with our lives and live in ways that bring honor to Jesus Christ. And here, this week, we see another aspect of our identity, that we're brothers and sisters, that we are in the family of God, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's because we've been adopted. Do you know that? When you placed your faith, if you have trusted in Christ, what happened in that moment was that you were adopted into the family of God. God. Galatians 4 says, when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts who calls Abba Father. We are in God's family. And God's aim is to make us like our older brother. God's aim is to make us like Jesus Christ. You're like, where did you get that? Romans chapter eight, verse 29 says, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We're in God's family and he's refining us. He is working on us. That's why God allows adversity to come into your life. Do you know that? The adversity that comes into your life does not come in by accident. It's because God allows that because he knows that that thing that is in your life right now or that thing that is coming is going to help you. It's going to mature you. It's going to make you like Jesus. He is working through it to conform you to his son. He is working to mature us. Now, here's a little clarification. Even though all that is true, it does not mean we have to walk around with smiles on our face all the time like everything's all good. When things are tough, it's okay to say things are tough. Right? Sometimes it's created in church like we've got to walk around like everything's all good all the time when sometimes we're we're just struggling. It's a battle and everything like that. And it's okay to say it's been hard. 
Not just a hard day, not just a hard week, it's been a hard month, and it just seems like it's going on and on and on, and I'm not sure when it's going to let up. That is okay. But here's the thing. As we're doing that, the, what protects us from it not going over the, like, the edge to becoming complaining is that we don't lose perspective. We don't lose perspective that even though it's hard, even though we're being honest, we're being honest with God, we're being honest with each other, we don't lose perspective by knowing God has not abandoned us. Remember the song? I am not alone. Psalm 23 says everything that comes into your life is mercy and goodness from God. Do you think about it like that? Everything that is in your life right now is mercy and goodness from God. That's how the Bible wants us to think. That's how God wants us to think. It's goodness and mercy because he is working on us in good ways. And as we trust and depend on him and are honest with him, we will grow and we will respond well. And to the person in the room that's not a Christian, I want to speak to you. You need to know that you can be adopted into the family of God. That you're like, how does this passage apply to me if I'm not a Christian? That you can be adopted into the family of God. Your reality right now is that you're outside the family. But you can be adopted into this family. And in this family, you are not used and abused by your father. You are helped by your father. If you've looked at your life and you're like, I'm tired of living this way. This, I, I can't stand the things that are going on in my life. I want to change. I try stuff all the time, but I can't seem to change. The way to be changed is to put your faith in Jesus Christ and have God begin his transforming work in your life that he will work on you and help you to be the person you were created to be. And that happens when you believe the gospel, when you confess and give up your sin and ask God to save you and change your life. So Paul, he's in chains, but the gospel is not. He says it's spreading. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That word really in the Greek is malon, and it could be translated rather. See, Paul knows that what he is writing to the Philippians, this letter that he sends back to them to tell them thank you for their care for him, he knows that what he's writing them is going to come as a surprise. Because they, they probably think, well, he's in jail, he's locked up, he's chained to a guard, there's no way his evangelistic ministry can keep going on. It must be over, like Seinfeld. Good show, right? But not, well, it's rerunning, but there's no new episodes. You guys watch Seinfeld? No? How about Fresh Prince? That's not on. Okay, there we go. Know your context. It's over. But God is still working through Paul to spread the gospel. And he tells us two ways that it's spreading. He says, he says the people who are holding me, the people who are holding me have heard about Christ. Verse 13 it says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's still talking about Jesus. He is locked up, but he's, he's on mission. When you read the book of Acts, when you read about the life of Paul, that's what you'll learn. That he is ne no situation that he is in bumps him off of his mission. He's like, I'm here to do a thing and I'm gonna do that thing. God has transformed me and changed me and this is what he's called me to do. He is proclaiming Christ. He says, the entire imperial guard have heard it. 
Imperial Guard was a, a seasoned, long-standing Roman soldier. And all those people who are guarding Paul, holding him, he says, all of them and the rest. So not only the guards, but it's also spreading out. And others are hearing as well. They know he's there because of his loyalty to Jesus Christ. See, God uses Paul's imprisonment. What he does is he uses his imprisonment to bring the gospel to people who may never hear it. He uses Paul's imprisonment to, get, to bring the gospel to people who weren't going looking for it. He brings that to them. See, through Paul's life, we see that when adversity strikes, we will have opportunities to share the gospel. Do you know that? When adversity hits you, you will get, you, you will get opportunities to share the gospel with others because it's going to put you in contact with all types of People And what we are to do in those moments as, is, is to be led by the Spirit. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. And as he leads and as he gives opportunities, we are to respectfully and creatively share our faith with those around us, telling them about Jesus. And Paul says, they know my imprisonment is for Christ. The literal translation of this would read that my chains are in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, when you read Philippians through the book, you'll see it all over that he's just like, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And what this tells us that is in, in Paul's view, he's like, I'm not just suffering for the sake of Christ. I am also participating in the suffering of Christ. He realized, he says, I'm participating. And that's because he knows that adversity and struggle is a part of discipleship. Do you know that? That when you signed up to follow Jesus, that you actually signed up for struggle and adversity? Parable of the sower, right? Makes this very, very clear. Some people realize it's tough. They're like, peace. It's too hard. They, we signed up. When we said we we're going to follow Christ, adversity and struggle was a part of it. See, following Jesus does not mean everything gets easier. Some people tell you that. It's a lie. Sometimes it gets easier. And then in a month it gets harder. Following Jesus does not mean it always gets easier. The aim of God in our life is to make us like Jesus Christ. It's not to make you comfy. Amen. It's not to make me comfy. This week I wanted to be comfy a bunch of times. I was like, God, what's going on? This was supposed to be easy. He's like, have you been studying the passage? His aim is to mature us, to make us like Christ. The gospel is spreading. Those in prison are hearing it and those outside of prison are hearing it. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here's the second way it's spreading. They're hearing it, Paul's being evangelistic, but now believers, believers outside of jail, now they're empowered. They're feeling confident. It says that they're doing it boldly without fear. Some translations say fearless fearlessly that they're doing it. Now, when we hear the word boldness, sometimes we think of a person yelling. That's not boldness. Boldness is just the courage to be clear. Boldness is just speaking with 
conviction. I believe this. I know that this is true. Here's why you need to hear it and believe it as well. And it says that they're doing it fearlessly. And this tells us that things haven't become easier. They're not speaking because it's like, oh, there's just, everyone's just kind of eased off. They're doing it without fear. And it's because, you notice it in the text, that they've become confident. You see it? Verse 14, look at your Bibles. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They're not confident in Paul. They're confident in the Lord. That's where their strength comes from. Fear is all gone. And the fear is gone because they're no longer looking at people. They're no longer focused on people. They're focused on God and what he can do in the life of anyone when we confidently share our faith. The fear of man is gone. Don't you feel the fear of man sometimes in your life? The fear of people? Right, you're out with your friends, you're having sort of a nice time and then somebody turns the conversation to something spiritual and you're about to say the name of Jesus. You know, I'm so thankful for the way and you come close, Jesus works in my life. Because you don't want the people around to hear And then it just turns into a whisper. Yeah, I was praying last week. God is so good to me. Man, this food is good, but Jesus is so nice. And it's it's all fear. Like, think in the moment. Like, the fear of man is actually irrational. Like, ask yourself, what can people truly do to you? Like when, fe- when the fear of people come, flows into your life, just stop for a moment and just think, what can they actually do? How much can they do to me? Jesus says we are not to fear people. We are to fear God and fear God alone. The fear of people goes away. See, the, these believers, they see God sustaining Paul. And what they realize is, If God can sustain Paul in the midst of his adversity, he must do the same for us. When they look at God, they start to think rightly and they realize, God, I am not alone. God is going to protect me. He is going to help me. And their confidence goes up like an airplane in God. See, when we focus on God, we're reminded of his goodness. We're reminded of his power. We're reminded of his protection of us and our confidence grows and that gives us the, the courage to boldly speak confidently about our Lord Jesus Christ because we know that God will sustain us and take care of us through whatever comes. Paul writes to the Philippians because he wants to put them at ease. He knows that they're anxious about him. See, just like Jesus, Paul is more concerned about others than him. He says that God is working through this injustice. God is working through this injustice to bring something good in the lives of others. And it's not the first time that God's done this. It's not the first time that God has seen an injustice happening and he works through it for the good of others. Do you know where else it happened? In the life of Jesus Christ. See, this, what's happening to Paul is an injustice. That's true. But this is not the greatest injustice that's happened in the world. Paul is thrown into jail for his faith, but it's not greater than what happened to Jesus. Jesus Christ hung on the cross, dying for our sins like he was a sinner. 
And he was completely innocent. You read all of the Gospels. That is what you will come away with in his life, that Jesus never sinned once. And yet he died for our sins. And through that act of evil and injustice, God worked for good. He worked for our good so that we could be saved, so that our sins could be paid for, so that our relationship with him, when we place our faith in that reality, could be restored. Paul's prison experience teaches us that that we can trust God's purposes even when we don't fully understand them. We can trust the purposes of God even when we don't fully understand them. What some mean for evil, God uses for good. And Paul tells them that many have started to spread the gospel, but what we're going to see is that not everyone's doing it with the best motives. Look at verse 15. So some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's our final point. The gospel spreads even when people have mixed motives. The gospel spreads even when we have mixed motives. I want you to see the contrast between these two people. And so I put it uh, in a table. Well, I gave it to Shayon and he put it in the table. So here it is. Paul's friends preach Christ. Paul's rivals preach Christ. Paul's friends do it from goodwill. Paul's rivals from, from envy and rivalry. Paul's friends out of love. Paul's rivals do it out of selfish ambition and not sincerely. There's an insincere way that they're going about things. Paul's friends do it knowing I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul's rivals thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. He's he's trying to show them this contrast. That there's two types of evangelism happening and some people are doing it from a motive that is true and some are doing it from a motive that are false. Some are doing it because they love Paul. He says, out of love. They know that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That phrase, put here, is actually just one word in the Greek, and it can actually be translated appointed. Paul says that those who are supporting me know that I'm not here by accident. They realize that God has appointed me for this. That, that my imprisonment was directly under his providential hand. That's that this reminder to us that God is in control of all things. As you go through your week this week, as you leave here in a little while, don't forget that reality that God is in full control of everything that is going on around you. It's, and it's supposed to give you encouragement that he's sovereign, that he is reigning, that nothing is happening by accident. And so others are speaking because they want to afflict Paul. He never says their identity, but he says their entire aim is to hurt me. Their entire aim is to afflict me. And here we see the sad reality that Christians hurt one another sometimes. The sad reality that sometimes we think the hurt is going to be out there, but the hurt is right in here. 
that we hurt one another. And you know, this happens when we forget that we have been brought in by Jesus Christ into the family of God to help one another, not hurt each other. If our church is going to stay healthy as, as the Lord continues to guide us and carry us along, it's because we continue to have the mindset that I am here to help my brothers and sisters in Christ. And there will be moments of hurt, but I'm going to extend forgiveness and grace because we're not called to hurt one another. We're called to help one another grow and mature in Christ. And again, to the non-Christian, I, I want to speak to the non-Christian. The non-Christian needs to realize, here's one of the ways you can know that the Bible's true. You're like, how? Because none of the ugly stuff gets left out. God shows us that, that, that even inside that there's bad things going on. The, the Bible's not sort of written to try to like sort of cover up some things. It's all on full display. That brokenness happens outside and inside. These believers are trying to hurt Paul. And maybe you're wondering like, are they believers? Someone does something from rivalry and selfish ambition. Are they truly saved? They are. And you know it because of what he says. He says they preach Christ. They're not heretics. They're preaching Christ. See, what they're preaching isn't bad. It's their motive for preaching that is bad. Frank Thielman says, the rivals to Paul oppose the apostle for, for personal reasons and to have used Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to advance their own personal agendas. Let's be honest, that happens sometimes in church. That people have a thing, and they come, and the whole thing is just to advance some personal agenda. And that's sick and wicked. And evil, it's wrong. Their preaching of the gospel then is motivated by selfish ambition. And they imagine that as they freely seek to persuade people to join their party, Paul himself will look on with envy from his imprisonment. They want him to envy what is going on. It's all selfish. They want to exalt themselves and they want to humiliate Paul. See, what defines them is the opposite of what is to define us. The exaltation of Jesus Christ, not ourselves, and the advance, the spread of the gospel. And something else that we shouldn't miss in this verse, which is the truth that sometimes preachers and leaders can say the right things from a very bad place. That's a true reality. That preachers and leaders, people in leadership role within the church, that they can have really wicked motives for the things that they do. Selfish ambition is a very real temptation for those who God puts in leadership roles. You're like, you, sometimes people are wondering, like, how did, the, how did the passage like challenge the preacher right here? This is how, as I was working this week, thinking about this, one of the things that I realized is that there is a very real temptation with my role in this church as one of the pastors in this church, that there's a very real temptation for me to exalt myself. That there's a very real temptation for me to do things out of selfish ambition. And I want to humbly ask you to pray for me. That that would not happen. I want to humbly ask you to pray for yourselves. That we would never do that. That our heart would be to exalt Jesus Christ and him alone and spread 
the gospel. They try to steal Paul's joy, but they can't. He says, Christ is preached, and in that I rejoice. The good news being preached is good news to Paul. He's happy. See, he just wants to see people come to Christ, and he does not care who gets the credit. Now, a good question to ask right now is, considering where he is, remember where he is. He's in jail. He's on house arrest, chained to someone. A good question to ask now as students of the Bible is, how can he write this? How can he be in jail against his will for simply being obedient to Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel? How can he be in that spot and write what he writes? How can he be full of joy? How can he say, I am thankful, I rejoice? How can he say that? Well, I think he can say it because he has an understanding of real discipleship. This reality that suffering is a part of the program. I think he can write this because he's thinking rightly about God. That even though he is in the spot, that even though this is hard, that God is working through it. That there is not a moment where God isn't in control. That there isn't a moment that when he's locked up wondering if he's going to get something to eat, that God isn't actually looking after him. He is thinking rightly about God and he also has a single goal in his life. The spread of the gospel. He does not care what happens to him. He really doesn't. You read Acts to the end, the guy's in shipwrecks, he's bit by a snake, he survives that, and he's like, it's great! Because he has a single goal, the exaltation of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel. And you're like, why are you sharing this with me, Marv? I'm sharing it because when adversity comes into your life, when adversity strikes, and it will, Jesus says, In this world, you will have trouble. If Jesus says it, we should probably listen. He does say, though, take heart. I've overcome the world. But he says, in this world, you will have trouble. So adversity will strike. And I share these things with you because these are the three things that if if we are thinking about them, they'll help us get through. This understanding of real discipleship, that struggle and adversity is a part of the plan. Thinking rightly about God, that he is with me, that he is using the adversity, that he's using the struggle to mature me, that I'm going to come out better on the other end, that he is refining me and making me like Christ and having this one goal, that all of my life is defined by spreading the gospel, by exalting Jesus Christ. And so as we humbly bear up under the things that come to us, God is going to use it as we take opportunities to share with those around us. These things will help us respond well when adversity strikes. What defines your life shapes how you think and how you respond in everything. It shapes how you think and how you respond, how we respond in everything. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we see a brother who is being mistreated both by unbelievers and believers. And yet, Lord, he says, I rejoice. 
I rejoice because even though my life is hard, even though right now there's a struggle, Paul doesn't even act, report on himself. He just reports on how the gospel is doing. And he says, he says, I rejoice because the gospel is doing well. It's spreading to the whole imperial guard. The gospel is doing well because other believers are sharing their faith. They're emboldened. They're doing it fearlessly because they're confident in you. And I pray, Lord God, that you help us to be confident in you. I pray you'd help us, Lord God, to know that there is never a moment that we are without you, that you have not abandoned us, that we are part of your family, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we are in Christ, you are working on us through the things that come because of the brokenness in our world. The adversity we face, God, is because of sin. That has broken everything. And so now that, the, that there's a battle raging, and so difficulties come, but Lord, difficulties come, but you are always there. Please help us to believe that and know that. And so I pray, Lord, right now for my brothers and sisters and myself that there will be comfort and peace, Lord, in our hearts, that we would trust you in all things and that our life, Lord God, would be defined, defined by exalting your son and spreading the gospel through the opportunities that you give us and that we would, we would rest, Lord, in you as we live our lives. And God, as we stand now to respond to the song, I pray we would sing it from a place of faith and belief that you are with us and that your son will get glory at the end of our lives and we will get to celebrate and rejoice in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.